Hello and welcome to The Lancet Haematology in Conversation With. It's August 2023 and I'm Emma Cookson. This month I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Erica Homer from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, whose new research on the association between maternal haemoglobin concentrations and maternal and neonatal outcomes is published in our issue this month. So Dr. Homer, thank you very much for joining me today. Can you start by giving us some background about the study, including why it was done and what your aims were? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Emma. Um, so this study was started as a uh, following a WHO commission on wanting to revisit the current uh, guidelines that are used for defining anemia for different populations. So as you know, that the current anemia guidelines are actually based on cutoffs that were, first of all, discussed in 1958 uh, following a working group in the WHO. And then subsequently to that, they've been revised again. Um, and the last time this was revised was in way back in 1967 for different populations. And I think there's a lot of studies that have shown that there is actually a need for this to be redefined for different populations because the current cutoffs were based on a very uh, small select specific population, more, mostly Caucasian, and was not encompassing different populations. So there was definitely a need to, re to, to revisit this. And various revisions have encompassed WHO efforts and also uh, the United States Center for Disease Control have also shown some evidence that led to the update of these cutoffs so that it included trimester-specific cutoffs. So in 20, um, around 2018, WHO commissioned a group of researchers to revisit everything around anemia, the definitions, mechanisms, um, even measurement. Um, and it's following those efforts um, that this study was commissioned as one of those that may actually really shed some light, um, evidence-based, focusing on what are the appropriate hemoglobin thresholds that are appropriate for during pregnancy, specifically. And there's obviously other works that are focusing on other different populations, for example, children, old, um, uh, older populations, uh, women of, of reproductive age and others. And so our, our work specifically provides evidence in uh, during the pregnancy uh, period. Great. So with that background in mind, um, can you summarise how the data were collected and then what the main findings of the study were? Actually, this study was specifically selected to contribute to the evidence you know, during pregnancy for two reasons. Um, following a systematic review that was, that was previously done, again, that was commissioned by WHO, looking at aggregating all the evidence that was available in the literature, all that's been published, and that the conclusions from that systematic review showed that it was very difficult to use the current evidence or, or evidence that's been used to really uh, say what the appropriate HB cutoff should be during pregnancy. And one of the recommendations from that systematic review was that actually to be able to to be able to generate or to be able to know what uh, those thresholds should be, you need a you need a data set or or a data set that's actually been collected encompassing different populations across the world, but also of women that have been followed much more intensely during pregnancy uh, with several measurements during pregnancy. But also, if you have to define thresholds, then you needed women who are deemed to be healthy during pregnancy with some evidence that those pregnancies then ended up with good outcomes for their babies at birth. And even better, if there was also a follow-up of their children to uh, maybe later on in life, up to say two years, to actually be able to really see that the uh, the children of these women ended up having good outcomes. For example, at two years where we can measure things like neurodevelopment assessment. So that was kind of the recommendation of a data set that would be ideal uh, to be used to generate evidence to uh, to really define what this threshold should be. So our data um, met all those criteria. So in, in this particular, in, in being able to provide the evidence here, we had two separate data sets, which I'm going to describe. 
So the first one is uh, coming from the Intergrowth Project. So the Intergrowth Project was a study um, in eight different countries across the world and was really designed with the intention of uh, generating or producing international standards for fetal, newborn, and child and child growth. And I think the really key issue here was that the population that was selected for intergrowth were very purpose, purposely selected. It was selected of healthy women who were defined uh, using a variety of criteria. And the reason for this was that um, following previous work that was done by the WHO is that we needed to define a population that is used to describe what we call prescriptive standards. So prescriptive standards are, uh, if you like, uh, are, are striving for optimality, so optimal growth. Um, so it needed to be women who were deemed to be healthy using a variety of criteria. Uh, and so, and therefore, the selection of those women is, is kind of uh, very, very, very uh, stringent um, in those standards. So it's more aspirational. So we need to know what is the optimal growth that can be attained amongst healthy women. A lot of what's been done in the past is describing how populations grow or uh, without really accounting for what is happening in different populations. For example, we know that across different populations, there's different levels of, say, obesity or different levels of infection. And those things are known to be related to outcome at as birth. So carefully, if you select women, regardless of their geographical location, whether they are in a country, say, Kenya or they're in the UK, who also have access to um, uh, to healthcare, then there is no reason to 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 think that those women would not be able would be different in terms of their how their baby should grow in utero, and we know that a lot of the changes we see in different populations are due to other factors which are probably more environmental um, exposures and uh, you know and those are and those are different difficult to control. So I think this integral dataset was really ideal for really defining what this threshold should be, and lucky enough we we during that process we had also collected hemoglobin values. Uh, across these eight populations um, in all our eight eight geographical locations in, in, in intergrowth. Um, and therefore, we use that data set to describe what the hemoglobin thresholds are that we saw across these women of intergrowth, um, which is about 3,000 uh, women. And that, and that paper was published in eClinical Medicine. So that's the first data set. The second data set was really key because then the second data set was coming from the Interbio project. The Interbio project again, was very similar to intergrowth with the only difference that the women in the interby were not carefully selected to be healthy. So, you know, there was a different, the different, there was a different aim for really understanding how infection and mechanisms affect women during pregnancy, and therefore there was no intention to, to select healthy women. But this provided an opportunity for this particular study in, in that we were able to then be able to link hemoglobin thresholds to actual outcomes so at birth, but also uh, that happens at birth for uh, for, the, for this population. Again, uh, the interbio study was international in nature. It involved six countries across the world. So we had women who were recruited from six countries across the world. But for this particular analysis, uh, we analyzed data from five countries because those are the only countries that actually had, had measured hemoglobin during pregnancy. I think the advantage is that then there was also outcomes that we could relate what this, how these thresholds relate to the outcome, which I think was the advantage for this study. And this is a paper that uh, has now been published by the Lancet Hematology. That's great. Thanks. Could you go through some of the uh, main outcomes of the of the study as well? What were some of the kind of striking findings with the the outcomes of both high and low hemoglobin uh, in the pregnant women who were analysed? Yeah, thank you. So again, as I said, like the WHO obviously has thresholds that have been used to, to define, uh, for example, anemia in pregnancy, which is a, which is a real issue, uh, especially um, in other countries such as South, South, uh, South Asia. 
but I think this is the real, uh, this is one of the studies that really shows this evidence in terms of linking thresholds to outcomes at birth. Um, and one of the things that we found was that there was a clear evidence demonstrating uh, low hemoglobin thresholds and linked to things like preterm birth, for example, uh, things like RDS or respiratory distress syndrome, again, which is an underlying condition that comes from preterm birth as well. We also looked at other outcomes such as uh, small for gestational age, and even though we did not we did not see any kind of clear linkage that was statistically significant with small for gestational age, uh, we have indications that's that's those are outcomes related to neonatal outcomes. We also looked at maternal outcomes such as uh, PIH, which is pregnancy induced hypertension, for example, which is which is also one of the things that has been shown to be linked to um, hemoglobin levels, and we also demonstrated that actually. Um, higher hemoglobin values were again demo, were, were again associated with um, higher uh, pregnancy-induced hypertension, the risk for uh, uh, pregnancy-induced hypertension. So again, this really, if you like, confirmed uh, one of, some of the things that have been shown previously, which is this kind of U-shaped relationship uh, between hemoglobin thresholds and outcomes. So obviously, uh, low HB is obviously associated with um, adverse outcomes, uh, but consequently also higher. Um, hemoglobin values are associated with some of the um, adverse uh, neonatal maternal outcomes. And I think the thing that's really perhaps more important that comes from this study is not to really think of cutoffs that are binary in nature, but how do we use how do we use the evidence from this study to define thresholds both at the lower end of hemoglobin but also at the higher end of hemoglobin? Current thresholds really focus mostly on the lower end of hemoglobin that are associated with outcomes, but not really defining what are the higher thresholds and what are the implications for that. So we hope that some of the work we've done in describing what the hemoglobin values are in a in a healthy, carefully selected, healthy population of mothers. Uh, provides the evidence, but also demonstrating the associations with some of the key outcomes, uh, adverse neonatal outcomes and maternal outcomes, would help in thinking about how do we set up the thresholds, but also perhaps how we revisit the definitions of, um, say, mild, moderate, and severe anemia. And and this will have huge implications for populations when you're thinking about uh, public health policy in certain countries whereby uh, you're looking at what the prevalence of anemia and how that is defined at a public health level. So those are some of the things that we, we hope that uh, our work will be able to contribute to. That's great. Yeah, definitely really important. Um, so you've touched on um, a little bit about what these findings might mean for kind of patients and, and well, just general populations. And you also talked a bit about the WHO thresholds and, and how they're actually based on quite old data at this point. Can you just tell us a little bit about the proposed new WHO thresholds? So when these might be published, what they might mean for uh, for the field going forward? Yes, thank you. Yeah, so as I, as I mentioned previously, so the WHO has been, you know, has been leading the efforts on trying to revisit uh, thresholds, not just for pregnancy, as I said, but also across different populations. Uh, this is work that started way back in, uh, in 2018. Uh, and I'm very pleased that the WHO is planning to release the findings and the findings from uh, this efforts. And um, so the the current plans, uh, WHO is is hoping to publish the, the revised guidelines in, in the next one or two months. So uh, so we hope that by by the end of September October, we this 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 new guidelines will will be published. And I think the important thing is obviously it's provided an opportunity to uh, re look at some of the uh, thresholds that have been used across the world. For many years, that were actually developed, you know, in the 1960s. So I think it's actually a, a great effort and uh, very much welcome. But also uh, the fact that we are now be able to use more recent data sets uh, to really inform um, what the evidence shows. 
so at the moment, obviously, the everybody we are waiting to hear. We are, we are waiting to see what those guidelines are. But but I think following up from that, it would be what does this mean? You know, what this new guide? What does this mean for, for example, what the current our understanding of anemia and the prevalences for the different countries? But also, what are the public health implications? So I think it will be you know very much welcome from WHO. But also, I think um, it will be to see what evidence do we have now, but also then illuminate on where where gaps still remain. And so, I'm, so I'm sure that from see, you know after the publication of the guidelines, they you know it will be very clear on what should, what the focus should be or where the gaps are that uh, we should then refocus our energies in the fight against um, you know reducing anemia across different populations. That's great, thank you. Um, and just lastly, so how do you think these results, uh, specifically from your paper, uh, will be used, and what do you feel are the next stages for research in this area? Yeah, so I think uh, two things. One is the, the two analyses we've been able to do, first of all, uh, are able to position carefully selected population of healthy women, what are the uh, hemoglobin thresholds that we see. And the other thing that I forgot to say was that um, we are able to also describe those thresholds by trimester. So we had data that was collected obviously across pregnancy. So we're able to look at whether there are differences of this hemoglobin by trimester, um, again, has been indicated before. So we're able to, be, to to either confirm or demonstrate whether we need trimester-specific hemoglobin thresholds. And then I think secondly is what does this uh, hemoglobin thresholds actually mean for outcomes? So uh, again, that has importance in terms of the care that women are receiving during pregnancy, the advice that they might be getting at the individual level whenever they are going through their pregnancy based on their hemoglobin values. And this is obviously demonstrated by the evidence on what the what the risk of uh, you know outcomes uh, such as preterm birth um, are and uh, and other things. But I think the where I see the gap, and this is something that uh, our team is already working on, is to you know what are, what does this what does the predisposition of, of hemoglobin thresholds during pregnancy what does it mean for uh, future outcomes? So I think where the gap is, what is there evidence linking hemoglobin values to even uh, outcomes of children, say, at two years. Um, so we are thinking about uh, measurements or outcomes such as anthropometry at two years, so to stunting or um, and other things, uh, BMI for age, for example, or overweight, and then also adding that to uh, whether we see differences in terms of uh, motor and neurodevelopment outcomes, such as you know, does, you know, is there a predisposition to milestones that are, we expect children to be to be to be hitting at at two years of age. So that's the gap that um, our ongoing analysis that we are, or we are we are in the process of finalizing. We hope can actually just add to the to the to the body of evidence again um, in demonstrating that. And I'm sure there is once the, the the guidance will be published. I'm sure there's other areas um, maybe during pregnancy for pregnancy or others that they'll become very clear uh, that need to be researched on. But I think for me. And from this work, I think the next phase is to, to link uh, the hemoglobin thresholds to uh, outcomes at two years of children at two years, which are, which will focus on both motor, fine motor, but also neurodevelopment neuro outcomes, and then the anthropometry outcomes. So I think that would, that would really show, you know, how the input of these thresholds are actually outcomes of of kid of, of children at two years of age. Okay, great. Um, yeah, really important outcomes in general. For, or just I don't know, bearing in mind that. Um, Hemoglobin and, and iron deficiency is just so so common worldwide, and um, yeah, really make a big difference. So, thank you so much for talking about your study with us today. You can read Dr. Ahuma's research online now at thelancethematology.com. Thank you to Dr. Ahuma, and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation with. Remember, you can subscribe to the Lancet Hematology In Conversation with wherever you usually get your podcasts.